Kyle, I have a bone to pick with you. Uh oh. Milk after tea? <laughs> I know. This is like one of my most controversial opinions is to put the milk in after I pour the tea in the in the cup. How in God's name do you get your tea and your milk to mix properly that way? Oh, I like the little bit of sludge in the bottom. Maybe that's part of it. That's weird. <laughs> I, I I don't get it. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to I Don't Get It. We are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Fonda, and today we're back for a very special episode that we recorded down at SIF, or the Calgary International Film Festival, with our compadre from the Alberta Podcast Network, Kyle Marshall, who, among many podcasty things, has the absolutely fantastic show on the works of Stephen Sondheim called Putting It Together, which is what we wanted to talk to him about, because as you may not have heard, we kind of like theater around here, and especially Sondheim. So for the chat, I was joined by our resident guest reviewer and now co-producer on I Don't Get It, Colleen Fian. We had such a good time talking with Kyle, so I will leave you with our chat right after these messages from our sponsors. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by ATB's podcast, The Future Of. Hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist, The Future Of podcast connects with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for the things that mean the most to you. The Future Of promises to give you insights to help navigate what is often an uncertain future and will help you explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. Subscribe to The Future Of everywhere podcasts are found or check it out at atb.com slash thefutureof. This episode is also brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. If you're in Edmonton, you know that there is a municipal election about to happen, and Taproot has been working hard to help voters determine the candidates that match their priorities in each ward, and for mayor too. You can take the Taproot survey now to see how you align with the candidates running for mayor and city council in your riding. Check out the survey at taproot.vote slash match to see how the candidates line up. That's taproot.vote slash match. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to I Don't Get It. This is a podcast that is usually about performances in Edmonton, but today we are in a very special new place. We're recording live from SIF, also known as the Calgary International Film Festival, here in Calgary in their podcast booth. And I'm here, of course, with our ever-present now co-producer, Colleen Fian. Hi, Colleen. Hello, hello. And we have a super special superstar guest <laughs> here with us today. Um, and because we're in Calgary, we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk to Kyle Marshall. Hi, Kyle. Yes, hello. Thank you so much for inviting me on. So, yes. Well, you are, I get, like I said, the superstar of the Alberta Podcast Network, or at <laughs> least one of the many superstars. Um, can you uh, just give us a little bit of a listing of the shows that you actually do on the network and maybe otherwise as well? <laughs> yeah. So uh, on the network itself, I do a twice monthly podcast called Creative Block, which is where I go and talk to artists and creative entrepreneurs, mostly around Calgary, but can be kind of anywhere in the world. I also do a weekly podcast with my friend David Yun called Kyle and Dave versus the Machine that 
uh, every season we focus on a specific year of film. Um, it also involves a sentient machine and some other uh, fiction building there, but that's the main <laughs> thrust of the podcast. Um, I also host something called Putting It Together, which is the podcast that is focused on the composer Stephen Sondheim, known for mostly his Broadway career, but I'm going through every show that he's done, show by show, song by song, so we are currently in the mid-70s, <laughs> so we have a long way to go. Um, and then outside of the network, something that I just started was this show called Somebody Date Jen and Kyle. And that is a podcast where me and my friend Jen, we are both in our late 30s. We are both single and dating sucks. So we wanted <laughs> to create a, an advice show for the people out there that still believe in love, but are finding it a little bit hard and depressing um, in the current environment. Yeah, a dating during COVID, yeah, yeah, especially I'm listen to that. because yeah. there's nothing else to do <laughs> about dating. Yes, well, um, wanted to really kind of go back a little bit and talk to you about putting it together, the sure. podcast that you mentioned about Sondheim, because everyone who listens to I Don't Get It knows that Colleen and I are a little bit of nutty for musicals, <laughs> um, and especially Sondheim musicals. Um, actually, the very first time I ever saw Colleen before I even met her, she was playing Rapunzel in Into the Woods. Oh, fun. oh, th is that the first time you? Okay, cool. That was one of the first time I actually saw you performing on a stage. Right, but yeah. I was blonde. How did you even know? I didn't know <laughs> it was you then. I know I had ten feet of blonde hair and blonded out eyebrows. It was different. It was kind of nutty. Yes. Yeah. So, well, um, Kyle, you've just sort of you've wrapped up the season or the the part mm. of the series that you were doing on Pacific Overtures, yes. uh, which was really cool. So, like, maybe just start us off by how do you prepare for a season of putting it together? Because it's mm. there's so much Sondheim and song by song is quite quite the task. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is quite daunting for those who maybe not may not be aware. I believe it is 18 shows that he has been involved with, uh, all of which have come to Broadway, and that doesn't even include like his some of his film scores he's done or these one-off songs that have appeared in other people's projects. So uh, when I started the podcast itself, the, the initial impetus was honestly, I wanted this to be a show, and I kept going to the Apple Podcasts uh, and searching for like Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim, lyrics whatever i just kept searching for stuff nothing 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 other than like interviews with him or with people that had been in his shows and at a certain point i was like fine i'll do it it was really <laughs> one of those things where i was like if no one else is gonna do it, i guess i have to do this myself and um i will say in the early years uh well in the, early, the very first season was with a show that i was very very familiar with which is west side story that's mm -hmm. the very first one of his that actually goes to broadway and so for that one, yes, I definitely like rewatched the movie. I listened to the different scores that have been recorded with the different revivals and that sort of thing. Nicely enough, he published here a few years ago these two volumes of books with all of his lyrics in them with little notes that he has made about his shows. That's become incredibly valuable. He also loves giving interviews. So <laughs> I have watched a lot of YouTube stuff. Uh, and he's remarkably consistent, by the way, like a, something that he did 20, 30 years ago. He almost is verbatim. <laughs> So <laughs> today, like it's really interesting. That's great. So that's kind of my first thing. But because we analyze the lyrics, of course, I try and get a guest on each episode. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't necessarily know what they're going to bring up. The great thing about whether it's literature, songs, movies, whatever it happens to be, is that certain things can impact people very particularly to their own background, their own knowledge base. So that's what I love. I always love when guests bring up something like, I would never have thought of that if you had not brought this up sort of thing. Well, I love the interview that you did. It was with, um, he's a, he's a football or a soccer coach. There was a, there yes. was one that you did yeah. with, oh, it was about, it was the West side story. It was in your it West side West story side. series about somewhere. Yeah. And I thought, um, I, I, I love listening to this. I know that the three of us here all have English degrees, so <laughs> it, right. it takes me back. And it's, it's when you guys are going, cause the way that, the, that it's structured in, in most of the podcasts from, from the ones I've heard is that you guys start off, you start talking about the musical that you're doing, you talk a little bit about the song and then and then they literally listen to what verse of the song, break it down, read it out loud, mm-hmm. and then the music comes in. And and I love that because I think like I, I have um I know a lot about Sondheim, but admittedly, and I didn't realize this, I know a lot more about seventies, eighties, nineties Sondheim yeah. than fifties, sixties Sondheim. And so regardless of what podcast you decide to start with, it doesn't matter if yeah, you've heard the show go. or not or the the sorry, if you've seen the musical or not. But I, I, I love it. It feels like I'm back in an English classroom in a really good way. Maybe that's not a well, good yeah. thought for <laughs> no. everyone, hey, but I for lo- me. <laughs> I loved being in the English classroom. Totally. Thing, so. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, for, for us. And sometimes I get really um, uh, scared <laughs> that we're almost like reading too much into things. But I will say, again, that English degree uh, is useful because oftentimes when you're going through the lyrics and maybe there's a a line that gets repeated, but a certain word is changed. So when you have can't, don't, won't flipped into those lyrics, it's like, yes, basically the same thing, but actually very different as well. Those are three different statements. Uh, and that can inform stuff about character, about the show, about what he's trying to do. And that's the beauty of really analyzing them is that I get a deeper appreciation for why he wrote the way that he did. And there's certainly been songs where it's like, oh, this is like a nothing song will be time with it for 20 minutes and then we fill an hour of time yeah. talking about it it seems to always happen is the ones i think are going to be the shortest end up sometimes being well not the longest but they feel longer than i thought we were going to talk about them for well i love that the interviews end up being quite agile because you have um some of the interviews end up being very very analytical of the language so in um i never do the same thing to, i never do anything twice yeah. which is so i thought you guys were really bared like bared down on the on the lyrics of that and then the comparisons of different different verses as you were saying and then so uh, back in my day I had a couple of audition pieces and here's to the ladies who lunch was one yeah, of them <laughs> so that was the first one I went to I was like well I want to hear what they have to say but I loved it because again it was all it was like now I know everything about Elaine Stritch oh my I God. it was that was so much fun to listen you could to. fill an entire podcast season with Elaine I, Stritch stories I bet you so. could and your guest on that was super fun and I think it was like a, it was a longer episode, but, mm-hmm. um, but I think that it's great that because Stephen Sondheim is so, um, diverse in, in the, the work that he puts out. So I think it's, it's really fun to listen to the different interviews because, um, you do do the analytical bearing down on the language reminiscent of English class, but then going to, you know, um, songs like here's to the ladies who lunch, which is, and I loved it because you guys really tied it into the time period that like mm-hmm. it's written in the sixties and the seventies and you're right. It does have that feel as opposed to some of the other songs that are very, um, musical sounding. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the beautiful thing I've been discovering going through all these different shows. Like Sondheim is known as this master of pastiche, meaning that he can make his song sound like somebody else's or a different style. And, and, and because of that, 
you can sometimes like not have a distinctive sound and yet he still does. I think that's kind of the really interesting thing is like, yeah, this sounds like a, you know, a 1930s um, pop standard. And this one over here sounds like a ballad from the 1970s. And this one sounds like a nursery rhyme or whatever it happens to be as he's jumping around because he understands how to use the, the musical language. But his lyrics, if you really break them out, like, oh, that's a very Sondheim thing to do here. That's a very Sondheim thing mm-hmm. to do there. And what I've really liked is really seeing that progression. He is one of the people who is like the biggest critic of himself. Mm. <laughs> and especially his West Side Story lyrics, which he has come on record as saying embarrassed by in some cases, even though the music is considered like some of the best ever written. Mm. Uh, and you can s- kind of see him becoming more and more comfortable with, uh, with doing different things as time goes on. Well, so that's something that interested me because you've got um, West Side Story and Gypsy, which were 50s, 60s, and yep. he's not the composer on those. He's Correct. The, the, just the lyricist. The, just the lyricist. So do you, and I, again, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with those musicals, but, but maybe haven't poured through them quite to your level. Um, so do you find that it, when you're doing it and reviewing it and pouring through, do you find it really changes the flavor because he wasn't doing both? Like, do you find that there's sort of tension in those ones that there wasn't? You know, it's really interesting you bring that up because I'm about to go into this like short little mini series of five episodes where we're going back and looking at some of the stuff we've talked about already. And um, so I just recorded this episode for Rose's turn from Gypsy, kind of the second time through. And what we've really discovered this time through is like, no, like if you just look at lyrics, this is Sondheim, a thousand percent, but the mm-hmm. music is not. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the really interesting part about that song is that I'm so curious to know what Gypsy would have sounded like if he had been able to be the composer. And I don't know. I don't, I'm not even saying that it would have been for the better. It, it would have been different for sure. But mm-hmm. yes, you can definitely tell when he has control over everything versus him just writing the lyrics. Oh, oh that's neat. cool. That's I'm excited to hear about that part of the series. Because yeah. I looked at sort of, you know, the, um, you know, the chronology of Sondheim musicals and I saw, I was like, oh, the ones that I actually know are yeah, coming they're up. They're coming up. Yes, <laughs> like, I know. Like I'm so Todd excited and for Sunday in the, the Park with George. And Sunday yeah. in the Park, yes. Yeah. yeah, all the, all, I would say like the heaviest, hit, I mean, I guess Company would be in, in that one too, but yeah, like the really, really heavy hitters are upcoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask a little bit about that um, between sort of like the more I don't obscure Sondheim or Sondheim that's not as well known. But when you come up against like either one of the musicals or say even like one of the big songs that people really know, yeah. um, how do you how do you do you treat those differently? How do you approach say something like, of course, send in the clowns? Yeah. <laughs> the, honestly, that was the one that I was not not say dreading, but it's like, how do I do this? It's been talked about and analyzed so much. So how do you talk about sending the clowns um, in a different way? And so those ones are kind of the most stunning because I know more people are going to tune into those ones (laughs) just based on looking at my own analytics. Um, So I find that in those cases, I have to lean a little bit more into like, this is how this song impacts me personally. Because, yes, you can, you can read the books, you can see what everyone has done, you can see that there's been like a thousand different versions of this song out there. So, you have the opportunity to do that um, on your own time. And I'm going to bring on a guest to t- say this is how it places in the show, but this is how it impacts us. <laughs> um, those are the, for the bigger ones. I think that's the only way I can 
make it be a little bit different. Yeah, I think that's one of the really um, successful things about the format like Aria Code, right? Mm-hmm. Where they bring, they take in one song, they talk to the the guests that they bring in are really talking about like the social and personal impacts of the yeah. song. Um, and what I another question I wanted to ask you is. How do you find your guests? Where do you where do you pull them from? And I have to bring up Alvin Ng um, oh, from the last yeah. season. Like, what an incredible yeah, like um, three weeks before him. he passed away. Yeah. yeah, that was a really uh, that was a special thing that that all happened. So, um, in the early years, it was really difficult. I will say, um, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, and it took a lot of like promotion on my part both paid and unpaid of like going on reddit and buying facebook ads and doing this thing on instagram and like really trying to uh, draw in that audience um i also think i've gotten better over time so i just like sondheim i will sometimes look back at that those first couple of seasons like with west side story and gypsy and be like oh i could have done a better job <laughs> with this i could have been better prepared for for this that and the other thing I, I will say I've gotten a very good like core group of people I can draw from, but I'm always trying to find new people each season to bring on. Sometimes they volunteer themselves. They will email me. I have a separate email address for the podcast, or they'll DM me on like Twitter or Instagram. Um, or I'll come across them, again, because I follow specific hashtags and stuff. I'm like, ooh, this is a cool person to follow. Maybe they would like to be a guest sort of thing. So I'm always trying to find that new group. Luckily, too, the audience that is built up around it also holds me accountable. I remember this happened in the gypsy season, so in season two, the first few months of doing the podcast, um, and they were right. I want to preface this, but it's like, you have done an entire um, season of gypsy, and you only had one woman on to talk about gypsy, which is like a very woman-centric show. I'm like, you are a thousand percent correct, and that was a complete oversight on my part. So now I, I really try and make sure that, yeah, there's a, a blending and, and, and a plurality of people I'm inviting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was also true. I tried very, very hard without being like explicit about it in the Pacific Overture season where that is very deeply a Japanese show written, of course, and created by white men. But still, it is very much a Japanese show. And I wanted to try and get as many... Uh, uh, Asian perspectives inside of that as I possibly could. Um, so that was me going and trying to find those people. That is how I got Alvin Ng on in the first place because someone on Twitter knew him personally and reached out for them on, him on my behalf. And so I brought him onto the show over phone call to, yeah. to talk about it. So um, yeah, it, it, it's those types of things I want to keep pushing for and getting those those voices in and included in those types of yeah. conversations for for context maybe just give our yeah. audience a little bit of uh who alvin ing actually is <laughs> oh well so alvin ing is uh i mean a, a long time theater actor singer uh, a cabaret performer he has a very unique voice um i guess i have to say had a very unique voice uh in his singing uh, uh, career he and he was in a few movies and stuff, but really is primarily known for that. He is the person, if you are familiar with uh, Broadway or plays or musicals, is I believe the performer who has been in the most productions of Flower Drum Song, mm. if I'm not mistaken. So he's been in that. The King and I, he's done a bunch of Pacific Overture is what he's known for because he was in the original cast of that, mm. as well as the major revival that happened in the 2000s. So he's he was been in both productions. Um, 
and he uh, yes agreed to be on my show uh, and I forget he was in his late 80s maybe even early 90s uh, before he passed away but he was still performing he was still going on stage and like was very involved in that community even yeah. up, uh, up until the end so that was a very sad passing and kind of unexpected for me because he was super like high energy good spirits when I was uh, yeah, talking with him it was, it was a great conversation and I know I've brought up the Pacific Overture season to you before as something mm-hmm. that I just ended up loving because I had no idea that Sondheim had a musical about Japan. Oh my god! Um, so, and yeah. and I and I have like a lot of history in my, myself. I lived in Japan after the whole university teach English yep. thing. Um, so yeah, it was just uh, it was just such a such a little jewel in my listening year from last year. Yeah, if um, people are not aware, Pacific Overtures is this really unique show that was written in nineteen seventy six is when it debuted on Broadway, and. Um, one, it's it's unique because n- even amongst Sondheim fans, it's not even one that's talked about all that often. But it's also one of those things that if you like it, you love it. <laughs> like it is not a, a show that's like, oh yeah, that's a show. Like it's either like can kind of completely disregard or it's like, this is my favorite thing of all time. And I definitely got a better appreciation for it when you have when you do analyze it that deeply for a few months and are in the music and re-listening and listening to things there's i have learned to really really enjoy that music uh, a whole lot the the biggest thing that sets it apart is that in 1976 uh, it was an all asian cast and that was what was super unique about it the king and i was not doing that flower drum song was not doing that they really pushed like no every person needs to be uh, Asian to be inside of this show. They really fought hard for that. Well, and just thematically, it's an interesting show too because I was listening to the Bowler Hat review this morning. Yeah. So <clears throat> just thematically, it's a really interesting production as opposed to The King and I and those things that were maybe happening mm-hmm. around the same time because it doesn't take that tack of the, the Orientalism quite the same way that some of Correct. those other shows do. Yeah, yeah, it really holds like America accountable for some of the Which bad Which in the 70s is... Yeah, this is why it probably didn't do very well. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> Part of my uh, my suspicion is that it really held up a mirror and was like, isn't yeah. imperialism really bad? No mm-hmm. matter who who's doing it, and yeah, mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a very unique show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm interested because so listening to some of the guests that you have on, I, I notice it is in many cases some actors and people who have performed mm-hmm. it. I'm interested to see as you go forward and and Sondheim sort of finds his musical style more. Um, really gets comfortable in it, like yeah. with Sunday in the Park with George and things like that. I want to hear about like the musician side of it too. Yeah. Because it is sort of, and again, this is my own background, is, again, in English. I, 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 I'm not a accomplished musician, but um, I think that also sort of looking at some of, some of the, the themes that Sondheim works through and that motifs and things like that, I because mm-hmm. I noticed that it is really um, text heavy and, and that's sort of my comfort zone too. Yeah. Um, but and, and, you know, in some of the early musicals, maybe it's not a big thing, but but going into something like where you've got um, the pointillism thing in, in Sunday in the Park with George. Yeah, and, like it's something I flirted with a little bit. I, I very intentionally did not want the show to be music focused, which is hilarious seeing how we're talking about songs. <laughs> but mostly it's like, I do not have the language to be like, I, I don't even know, like the, 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 the crescendo here signifies <laughs> this over here. And like these quarter notes do this thing over here. I just didn't, 
even though I know a little bit about music, it's not to the degree where I would feel comfortable to be like, I'm going to have a super high-level conversation about this. Um, when it makes sense, because definitely when you start listening to different recordings of it, it's like, isn't it interesting that they like focus on the trumpets here, but in this recording, they don't. They, they bring them down. So like, mm-hmm. what are they trying to do in these two different productions? And that is sometimes a really interesting conversation yeah. to have, because again, Sunday has these recurring collaborators who are actually helping him orchestrate and, and figuring out what that sound is actually going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and his sound is so distinct because he's got these these themes that go through it and breaks and weird phrasing and trying mm-hmm. to learn a Sondheim song is like, okay, here we go. Well, the, it's not just pick up the tune and learn the words, right? So, that's right. Well, <laughs> that, that's true. I mean, like I, I've heard um, kind of a, a bunch of different points of view on this, but one that Actors love it because it allows them to like emote a lot more throughout the song. It's not let's just perform this song really well. It allows them to add in the kind of their own inflections and stuff like that. Um, at the same time, it is still like you have to hit <laughs> these certain <laughs> things. And if you're talking for something like um, getting married today from company, where you are like whipping through that, you have to be because she's nervous. That's what the whole point of the song is. So she goes faster, 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 <laughs> and it's like you are. I forget. I read like 50 words in like. <laughs> Was it 50 words in three seconds or something it's, like that? Like you're, yeah. you're going through that super fast and you have to hit it. Yes. <laughs> exactly right. Absolutely. It's in, it's incredibly intimidating for someone with absolutely no musical talent. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can I, I can talk a blue streak, but I just That's definitely right. could, I think, never really sing. <laughs> well, there was one interview that I was listening to when you talked about growing up in small town Alberta and yeah. how, I think it was you were talking about the Rosie O'Donnell show or something oh, yeah. like that. yeah, yeah. And formative I, experience in my life. <laughs> right? So, and I, I, as you said, you're in your late 30s, so I, I guess probably we're all growing up around the same time. And it just struck me, you were talking about that growing up in small town Alberta and like the segue into musical culture in probably mm-hmm. New York or something like that. It just, it, it struck such a chord with me because I think I definitely had that too. So like... So is that where this sort of where this came out of, like this this craving to to be part of quote unquote society? Well, New York society. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I mean, so the my first like gateway drug into musical theater outside of like of course your uh, Disney or Muppets or whatever <laughs> that has like the singing involved in it. Like I I understood that, but. Um, I didn't really understand that there was such a thing as like people getting up on stage and acting something out and singing through it, mm-hmm. dancing and stuff. I thought that was like just for TV or just for movies. And so uh, it was a very uh, non-Sondheim um, show uh, in grade five. My uh, community theater in my small town did Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And my music teacher brought that in as actually a case study to talk about different musical styles and how musicals actually oh, work on stage fine. and use that to break it down. Um, so Andrew Lloyd Webber was actually my like entry <laughs> point into a lot of this because yeah. once that is, then it's like, oh, there's such, like, they record these as well, so you can like buy albums for this. Like I was really very naive up until that point. And so that's when you start to go through like... Um, Cats and Evita and Joseph and uh, Jesus Christ Superstar and all the other stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. That was my first entry point. And I was like, oh, but there's other people who do this too. Yes. And so then that starts to branch off, branch off. And of course, as new productions happen in the community theater, then those are kind of other like branching off points. So Westlight Story was something that I was familiar with. It was one of the albums I picked up. Mm-hmm. 
But then I was in this thing called theater club in high school, where we would <laughs> where we would drive up to Edmonton Ooh. to to the Citadel Theater and watch a production and then say for the talk back that happened. Awesome. Which I think about it now, and that's so wild that my not that my parents let me, but the fact that. Like those nights, we were coming back at like one or two in the morning because we lived two and a half hours away from Edmonton. Like oh, we would get back awesome. late at night. That is <laughs> wild. Yeah. But just the thought of all of you, like I'm assuming, on like the bus on the way back, yeah. sort of jazzed up about this show. That's, that's that, that would be so fun. Yeah. So I mean, there was a few different productions that happened in that first year. Because I, I did it the last two years, like grade eleven and twelve. Yeah. Um, but like there was a, an amazing performance of uh, a little shop of horrors that happened. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, we, oh, yeah. This is this is exactly the yeah. same years that we yeah. all saw totally. stuff in the Citadel. Yeah, <laughs> there was, and it still to this day is one of my favorite theater going experiences. Was a production of uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream, mm-hmm. and there was a moment where the the people are laying on stage, and then Puck takes the entire uh, scenery and pulls it like a blanket over top. Oh, we totally saw that. This is the midsummer that Stephanie Wolf was in. Yeah, that's Um, right. John uh, Elliott. John Elliott, yeah. And also our sometime uh, co host, Laura Boo, was also amazing. Oh, my gosh. It blew a 17 year old's mind that that had just happened. Like, how did they make that happen? That was was a great It felt like a magic trick that it just happened. Yes. I also think I saw someone. I think that's the first time I saw someone naked on stage, but they weren't supposed to be naked on stage. But anyway, yeah. regardless. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, yes, I remember that show. But in that same season was Into the Woods. So Into the Woods mm-hmm. was that same season. That's right. And I did not know anything about it. So I go in there and they did a little talk back beforehand and they talk about Stephen Sondheim and it's like, what's super interesting about this show is that um, there's specific uh, melodies and light motifs that happen throughout the show. But also what's really cool is that if you are a musician, um, there's characters that are counterpoint to each other, meaning that there's a melody and then it's upside down for their counterpart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you really wouldn't necessarily pick that up, but your brain does. Yeah. So it's like you can tell that they're linked, even though you might not know musically if they're actually linked. Yes. It was like, oh, that's cool. And then, of course, if you know Into the Woods, the first half is all like the standard uh, fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that was good. Great. I guess it's time to go home. Totally, I was like, oh, yeah, wait, there's an yeah. act two. <laughs> happily <laughs> ever after. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what's act two about? It's like, well, what is after the happily ever after? And the answer is a lot of death and awfulness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that kind of like reframed my head because I feel like nowadays there's a lot of that, like, I don't know, take a fairy tale and like invert it or like do the alternate take or the dark take yeah but back then i was like I, again just having like disney and stuff on the mind it's like whoa like this is this seems so transgressive to me to, <laughs> to, to see something like this yes. and honestly i'm trying to think uh that would have been like a decade or less than a decade after the initial production yes would have happened. Mm-hmm. that's well, right yeah it would have been like late 90s late maybe 90s somewhere years. yeah maybe, oh maybe cause, i yeah. mean it was kind of what the the period of time that we're ca- talking about is a little bit odd so from like maybe like 97 to like 2002 mm-hmm. um a lot of edmonton producers and teachers were really into sondheim right and so yeah. there were a ton of productions like we did like Vic, the school that we went to, they had did Into the Woods. They did Sweeney Todd. Right. Assassins was done a couple of years later right. than at the U of A. Like it was, there were, there were some educators in the community that were really into Sondheim. <laughs> so we actually got to see quite a lot on Edmonton stages, which is really cool. That's, I know Jocelyn Wolf played Jocelyn Wolf. 
Uh, no, Jocelyn Alf played uh, Rapunzel at the Citadel, and I was like, guys, I already know the part. <laughs> That's so funny. And my 17-year-old, you know, my 17-year-old uh, ego. Well, yeah, and then because, like, Into the Woods, I love that production so much. I was like, well, I have to go and buy this album now. So, yes. of course, the next time we were anywhere near, I found it, I bought it, and, of course, that introduces me to Bernadette Peters, who I've become, oh. like, obsessed with for, like, yes. the rest of my entire life. Like, who is this person? I and Mandy Patinkin, right? Like, and in, like, uh, well, in, Mandy's yeah. not in Into the Woods, but he's uh, Sunday in the Park with Sunday, George. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I did yeah. my perfect vision of New York. That's like Bernadette <laughs> Peters, Mandy Patinkin, and Stephen Sondheim all hanging out, and there's like a piano player available. Like, <laughs> no, just come, come sit down. Yeah, right. But yeah. also, like Nathan Lane has to be there. You oh, have to, that's like, you know. true. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he's, he's there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess yeah. To kind of go back on a previous question you had, and <laughs> kind of going off on a tangent, but is. Like, I think I started liking musicals just for the art form in and of itself. Like, it's just like, how cool is this that they're singing and dancing and telling a story? And then when I found it doesn't always have to be happy, that it can be, like, very serious, but still within a musical form. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting, too. Which is still something I find I run up against where people think of musicals as, like, I don't know, 42nd Street or Guys and Dolls or something where, well, even that's a little bit. <laughs> but, <laughs> Singing but, in the rain. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, like, it's, like, high kicks and stuff, which I love, too, but, it, like, that's not what the whole art form is. And, um, of course, then, when you learn about Broadway, it's like, I need to go to there <laughs> type of thing. Um, and so, yeah, you have that 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 in your mind. But it, it for me, it's weird. It was, like, it was never the thing, like, oh, I want to be doing that. It's, like, no, I just want to be in... The, the theater mix. space and, and experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you have you ever been to Broadway and seen yes. shows on Broadway? What like what were your goals when you were there? <laughs> well, that's 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 a good question. Of course, I want to see like everything, but tickets now are like two hundred dollars a piece. So of course, mm-hmm. I can I can't see everything that I want to see. Um, my very first time I got to New York City was a very roundabout way. I volunteered, not, I shouldn't say volunteered, I applied and got a job at this sports camp, which is hilarious because <laughs> I am not sports at all, sports-centric at all, um, as a summer job between um, first and second years of university. And so I went to Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and uh, it was this sports camp that it had a bunch of very, very rich kids that were from New York and Boston came to this, came to this place. And um, because we were like relatively close to New York, I can't remember, it was like a four or five hour bus ride mm-hmm. away. <laughs> what I did, because uh, you probably wouldn't be able to do this nowadays, I'm guessing, we worked six days and then had a day off. Mm-hmm. But you could forgo a day off and then put two of them together they allowed you to do that once and so that's what i did i worked though whatever that would have been 12 days in a row and then hopped on a bus went to new york for 30 hours oh amazing (laughs) and did as much as i possibly could within that 30 hour time period did you sleep at all, or is it just like I'll find very, something to yeah, do at four a.m.? Yeah. I can sleep on the bus on the way <laughs> that's back. Right, like, I that's right. That's right. I want to like, pack in all this stuff. And honestly, like as a, still a fairly, you know, again naive eighteen-year-old that I was at that time, <laughs> getting off in Grand Central Station, walking outside and being met with like the naked cowboy is the first thing that you see. <laughs> which if you don't know is this guy who has like underwear and a cowboy head hat on and walks around and plays the guitar. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh. I am not in small town Alberta <laughs> anymore. <No. laughs> 
uh, and so yeah, you did, I go, go around and this is you know that first trip. And I went, I did the same thing the next, the following summer as well. So I was able to do a couple different things. Oh, amazing! I believe my very first show is not super exciting. It was like this off off Broadway thing where they were just parodying a bunch of other musicals. Mm. Of course, they knew what all the musical references were, so it was funny to me. Yeah. And then I believe the first time was also phantom i think i saw phantom but we're we're, we're talking like 12 or 13 years into its run so it's not like original (laughs) cast members or anything like that uh so i did that and then i've been a few different times actually even since then doing different trips and Mm -hmm. uh was supposed to go april of 2020 but i don't know if you remember some things closed down in april of 2020 yeah um so Fingers crossed. I'm supposed to go back in April 2022. We'll see if that yes, actually yeah. happens. Uh, when is that? Was that around sort of the Sondheim's 90th birthday? 90th birthday. Company was coming back to Broadway. I had right. my tickets. In fact, the producers of the company revival reached out to me and asked me to come and interview people. <gasps> oh my god! Of the cast and crew. Oh. I was like, I was there. I was like, I was five days away. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then it didn't happen. Kidding. Yeah, I know. It was oh. heartbreaking. But oh if it happens, it happens. Oh. Uh, my only Sondheim show that I've seen is Gypsy on Broadway when Patti Lapone was doing it. Oh my so god! That's the that's the yes. only Sondheim thing I have actually seen on Broadway. Oh, that's oh fantastic! Just just to see Patti Lapone once, would right? Be, you know, right? She, she's to get hoot. my get a drink thrown on you by Patti Lapone. Oh my god! Yeah, she she she's a she's a hoot. I, I, she's kind of divisive in the Broadway community a little bit. I find, <laughs> but it's like whatever. She can yell at me all she wants. Yeah. <laughs> Although that was the funny thing, because of course that time I, I had a friend with me. We were going to a wedding out in Massachusetts somewhere, and I was like, "Well, we have to stop in New York then. This is a great excuse to." And he had never yes. been. And then, of course, I drag him to, like, see a Broadway show. I'm like, I'm seeing Gypsy, and you are too, because <laughs> that's what I want to see. Um, but they started off, and I, I'm telling him, I was like, we're going to see Patti Lapone. She was the original Levita. He has no idea. Nothing. None of this. <laughs> that's cool. Um, but they started that performance. It's like, uh, uh, we, without, I forget how the phrase it was. Like, we were about to inform you that uh, Patti Lapone has, <gasps> like, turned her ankle. And she will be wearing flat shoes for this performance. Oh, I'm like, thank oh, God. God. <laughs> it's like, it's fine. I don't even care. She's in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, just throwing her out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's well, awesome. That's awesome. Um, uh, I wanted to just sort of, uh, there has been some news in the last few yes. days come out mm. that um, that there will be more Sondheim happening. Yeah, that's apparently the truth. Yeah. What, are, what are your feelings, Kyle? <laughs> I'm excited. I mean, this is, I mean, we have to be, I think, temper expectations a little bit. Sondheim's very last show, whether you want to call it Wise Guys, Bounce, or Road Show, it's been known as all three of those things, had a very long gestation process. And I would say it's probably usually considered amongst the worst of his shows that he has <laughs> written. It's not, like, really beloved, um, except for, like, one or two songs that have become a bit of a bit of standards in um, uh, cabaret performances and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that was in 2010, I think, is when the final form came out. So we're talking 11 years uh, since then. Apparently, he has been writing. Uh, I don't know what this show even is, is the quick answer to this. Like, no one really does. He was uh, supposedly writing this other musical for years hmm. based on two films by Louis Brunel. Um something tales of the bourgeoisie and then another film two movies i've not seen i should just point out but um 
kind of combining them together and musicalizing them a little bit. Two years ago, he came and said, Project's dead, that's not happening. And so everyone kind of just assumed, well, that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. I guess Roadshow is going to be in. And then, yeah, he was on the uh, uh, Late Show with Stephen Colbert, uh, just kind of talking about all the stuff. There's a new book about... um, uh, Sunny in the Park with George has just came out. Mm-hmm. Company is coming back to Broadway finally and starting performances again. And then uh, Colbert just asked him, was like, are you writing anything? Or do you write still? And he's like, yes. And like, I have this uh, show that was workshopped last week and we're hoping it's coming out next year, next season. <laughs> that workshop, like the same morning, so this was all hitting at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. very like roller coaster. Nathan Lane was on a morning show talking about like, he had just been at this workshop oh with Bernadette Peters doing this new Sondheim show and we're like people are like what and then Sondheim confirms it so um, everyone is fairly confident this is the Brunel piece kind of updated uh-huh. um, called um, Square One yeah. that's what the show is going to be called as of right now at least mm-hmm. I am of course super excited I will pay a lot of money to be there <laughs> in the first week of that show being there because yes. more than likely as a 91 year old man this is going to be his last show mm. that he writes mm. um so whether it's you need great. to let them know that you're like okay i know company didn't work out but yes, i'm still but available. I available i can find some time yeah <laughs> yes, i will buy my own plane ticket uh, so yeah I, like of course i am excited i really mm. want to see what this looks like um, I always want to have that like movie finale where you get like that one great last the swan song, swan yeah. song, yes, type of thing. So that's what I'm hoping this is. Mm-hmm. But uh, but who knows? B- great, bad, or indifferent. I just want to be there to be like, yes, this is the last. But production. also roles written for people like Nathan Lane and Bernadette Peters, right. like yes, like I'm already saving money to go I know. <laughs> figure this out. I like. know one of my uh, one of the people that. I've brought onto the show multiple times. He's a, a, um, know, a conductor down in Seattle. And he says, like, it is obscene how much I would pay to be there. Yes. <laughs> Opening week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, well, as we kind of said a little bit earlier, you're sort of heading into the very, very well-known part yes. of, <laughs> of, of the Sondheim um, oeuvre now. So is there a song that is coming up that you are just, terrified of or that you're really <laughs> excited about or you <laughs> the next song that i am like the most excited to delve into because of course sweeney todd is the next major season we're going to i'm mm-hmm. doing a few extra things before that starts in december is when that season will start up mm-hmm. and then go for seven months <laughs> i have wow. figured that out that okay um and so there's a lot of stuff in there i think the the song I'm most excited to talk about is A Little Priest because it's all about baking people into pies. <laughs> and so it's both funny and smart. Um, and no matter what Sondheim says, I don't care that it, it's all about the clergy. It still makes sense, I think, inside of that. <laughs> uh, inside of that song. Within uh, Sweeney Todd, the hardest part I actually am contending with is like how to break it up some cases because right. there's a bunch of ballads that happen through throughout it which i think i'm going to combine into one episode yeah um and the music of sweeney todd is its own well that's character I mean. right like it's, it really is and like i've watched the youtube videos on it and like how precise that stuff is and again it's using another song as like this basis mm-hmm. that permeates the entire show and it's commenting on this and right so there's a lot of religious stuff that's built into that score as well so there's a lot of stuff to delve into i am probably the most nervous about a, a song called joanna 
There's actually three songs called Joanna. Gosh, I feel like Joanna would be so easy because it's its own weird little bubble. Well, so here's the thing. There's three songs called Joanna inside of Sweeney Todd. The first one that the lovers sing. Uh, the second that uh, uh, basically Sweeney sings about his daughter, Joanna. But the third one is the one that the judge sings, which was cut from the original production but has come back into future oh. productions where he is basically whipping himself while singing Joanna. and. Right. Was was supposed to orgasm on stage. <laughs> they were being very like avant garde at the time in 1979 <laughs> to put this on. Mm-hmm. But beca- my my rule is is that I will do the song as its own episode if it was actually performed in a major production of Sweeney Todd, okay. and it has been. So I'm going to have to talk about it and not save it to be like in the cut songs section <laughs> that I'll sometimes save for the end and talk about a bunch of the cut songs that mm-hmm. didn't didn't make it. Um, not so. I'm not scared of it so much for like blowback from like religious groups or anything like that. It's just like this is a really <laughs> performance-heavy song, and so you have to understand like what is happening on stage right now. Right. Otherwise, it makes it almost no sense if you're just <laughs> listening to it uh, specifically. So yeah, I'm trying to figure out the best way to approach it. Oh, that's gonna. Be, I'm excited to. I, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that season for sure. Um, anything you want to add Colleen because I think we've taken up enough of this busy man's time <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> well as much as I'd love to nerd out all afternoon I, mm-hmm. I mean we could we can, nerd out forever with yeah. you Carl. like it would be it, it would could be, happen yeah um well but anyway thank you so much for coming and being on the show and I hope one day maybe we'll get to do something in Edmonton maybe we can go like see a musical or something and great. talk about it afterwards there you go yeah the Citadel is opening up is it not it, it is there's a new show they're playing right now the Garno Block yes. is playing at the right. Citadel right now yeah it's um it's not a musical though so no but it is a very edmonton show like it's based on a todd babiak novel about edmonton so um yes and lots of lovely um cast members and everything in that there's um theater is actually happening in edmonton you get your proof of vaccine and everything and you go watch masked and i am the most excited i'm going to see a theater calvary production next month so it'll be my first time back into like live theater Okay. All right. So, are you a purist? Like, when you get into that theater, no snacks, no drinks. Like, are you just there? Yes, are you allowed to have like I, some Twizzlers? <laughs> Twizzlers. It's, it's weird because if it's a movie theater, of course, like I don't care. But for yeah. some reason, yeah, like the actual live theater, yeah, I, uh, I've sat next to people who apparently have like twenty nine individually wrapped candies. I'm like, <laughs> what is going on over there? <laughs> I can't even. I was sitting behind a row of students when I saw Angels in America. Oh wow! Um, and they just did not get it. Yeah. Like oh. the, they were on their phones and all these. And I was like that angry theater lady <laughs> who was just like, "Put your phone away!" <laughs> oh my gosh! But what right, an incredible purists. show! Yeah, a table the, of purists. There you are. Almost eight hours of theater in a day. Like it was just yeah, a big yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> They took students to that? They didn't come back for the second half. Yeah, okay. so right, it was, right. Right. Yeah, okay, got it. <laughs> In any case, again, thank you so much, Kyle. Thanks thank for you. making the trip down here, Colleen. Oh, yeah. It's been great. And uh, yeah, next time we'll talk about dating advice. That'll be great. Perfect. <laughs> okay. If any of us has any. <laughs> so super special thanks again to Kyle Marshall for the chat and to Colleen for driving down to Calgary for this little road trip. And also thanks to all the SIF staff who made the podcast booth there possible. It was great to get out of the home studio and do something different and also to put up an APN sign for a little while. That was super fun. 
you can check out Kyle's podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we'll put the links for putting it together and all of his shows in our show notes. So for now, go see some shows, everyone. The theaters and museums and galleries are open in Alberta. If you have your vaccine passport, um, at least at the very moment that I'm recording this, they are. Uh, and also at least until the military gets sent in and Alberta goes into the biggest lockdown of all. Hopefully not. But if you can, make sure you are doing your part to seek out and support those artists by paying for your ticket, making a donation, watching them online, or whatever you can do to make sure they are compensated for their work. Because after this great pandemic pause, they sure could use a hand. And in terms of the future of I Don't Get It, just to note that we will be back on track with new episodes in November and hopefully reviewing real life stuff happening too and talking about the art scene here in Edmonton um, with the full I Don't Get It team, including Paul Blinov, who is back in school. Good stuff, Paul, uh, and Colleen Fian. In the meantime, this host has a literary festival to run, so we'll catch up with you all again after All Hallows' Eve. So long as we haven't collapsed under an overly taxed healthcare system. And if you're the praying type, please pray for Alberta's healthcare workers. They sure could use it too. Until next time, folks. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Episodes are produced by Fonda Mithrush and Paul Blinov. We are recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Series art by Michael Nunweiler. Technical support by Andrew Paul. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you value independent local arts coverage, please consider supporting us on Patreon or leaving us a review on your podcatcher. Find out more at idontgetityeg.com.